Welcome to the Sports Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Lure, and I'm thrilled to have another rock star of the sports industry on the phone with me here today, all the way from Philadelphia, Mr. Scott O'Neill. Hi, Scott. Marcus, it's good to be here with you. Yeah, great to have you, Scott. And uh, before we get started, let me quickly introduce you to our listeners. So, uh, Scott is currently the Chief Executive Officer of the Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment Group, which has a very, very illustrious portfolio and entities from the Philadelphia 76ers, the NBA team, of course, the New Jersey Devils, NHL, the Prudential Center, one of the top arenas in the U.S., uh, based in New Jersey, Dignitas, an international esports organization, and just to name another one, uh, the Sixers Innovation Lab. So all very unique assets, and we'll be talking more about it um, during the next hour. Um, Scott also currently is the co-managing partner of Elevate Sports Ventures, which is an interesting partnership between SBNI, Live Nation, the San Francisco 49ers, and the Oakview Group. So again, hopefully we have a chance to talk a bit about it. Um, in, in a general sense, Scott spent really the last 20 years around the NBA, NHL, NFL, leading you know, major um, assets there. Um, but how we met, I believe, was uh, when you were the president of uh, Madison Square Garden. So, again, you know, obviously an, an unbelievable venue, maybe the most famous arena in the world, uh, and, of course, the home of the Knicks as well as the Rangers. Um, and I believe prior to that, you spent uh, some of your formative years, I guess, with the NBA, um, for eight years and, uh, and had a couple of other roles prior to that in, in other organizations. So um, I think it's, uh, you know, you're well known in the Philadelphia area. Uh, hopefully soon you'll be well known all around the world. I know you speak at conferences as well. So um, this is really what this podcast is all about is just take that message around um, the major learning you've had um, and other people have in our industry have been here you know for many decades um, so just to frame the podcast um, today really is all about of course what happens in the American sports market uh, which is very very different uh, you know for than many other around the world so I look forward to digging deep into it and uh, and hearing your amazing story Scott well, thank you for that. I'm just looking to add to my bio, friend of Marcus. <clears throat> I need to put that on the next one. Maybe I'll um, and I've, I've been spending uh, quite a bit more time in, in Asia, so I'd love to dig into that as well. Absolutely, yeah. We, we'll always uh, try to make sure that uh, we have a little bit of that crossover. Um, so, you know, it's evening here for me. It's a good morning for you there in Philadelphia. So a uh, perfect time to have a good chat uh, amongst friends here. Um, and now we always start, and that's really how, uh, how sort of uh, the whole idea came about, is that this is all about storytelling, um, you know, and sharing something which, you know, you wouldn't necessarily read in the newspaper, you know, or, or in sort of general articles. So love to just get you warmed up a bit um, you know, with one of your, you know, early days uh, in the industry, how you got in there and, and you know, share some fun, some fun story with us. Sure. I, well, I can tell you I was um... – I went to a, a, a small school outside of Philadelphia. Um, it's called Villanova University. It happens to be a basketball powerhouse now, mm-hmm. but wasn't when I was there. Um, they've won a couple national titles uh, here in the last few years. It was an incredible coach in Jerry Ray. But nonetheless, um, I was at, at Villanova and graduated. Um, kind of a utility knife type student. Um, I love to learn, so I was taking crazy um, – crazy – electives like i took a couple semesters of calculus i took a couple semesters of japanese i took a couple <laughs> semesters of advanced stats and and that was those were my electives Good. so I, I definitely was a bit of a glutton for punishment Lo- love to be in the classroom love to learn uh fell in love with the students was involved um all around campus and uh graduated without a job in 1992 and went to the beach which is uh kind of a, it's called the shore here the jersey right. shore and I was working as a as a bouncer in a bar. I don't know if that's the term they use in Asia, but effectively, I was supposed to, supposedly the muscle. If there were any problems, and, and if you know me, that's very unlikely. Yeah, uh, both being the muscle and throwing anybody out. And uh, you know, I was I uh, had a, I was uh, rooming with a we rented a house, and a bunch of my friends had all. You know, we're heading to accounting firms. One was getting his PhD in chemistry. Another one was going to med school. Uh, another one was going into sales, and I, I was the only one that that did not have a job or an opportunity. And um, 
and hadn't really contemplated it or thought about it too much. And they mm-hmm. they thought that was funny because I, I my reputation was I was like the driven one and the one mm-hmm. always taking extra credits and I never missed a class and you know so they they kind of got a, my friends got a kick out of that. Right. Um, and I, I hadn't even actually thought about it. And uh, but apparently my my mother had and mm-hmm. so um, she is a is was a, a leadership development trainer and and she had been training companies all over the world Xerox and ADP and Texaco and McDonald's and. And um, she called me one time at the shore, and this is pre-cell phones, just give you a sense of how old I am, <laughs> and um, and said, hey, uh, you know, you need to be interviewing for a job. And um, and I said, yeah, you know, I'm not really ready to do that. And so she said, well, good news, I, I've got a uh, I've got a friend of mine who I've worked with for the last ten years. Uh, he's a sales manager for ADP, which is a check processing company. Mm-hmm. If you think about the dynamic industry of check processing, yep. it's, it's almost like sports, um, <laughs> except in payroll. It's the payroll version of basketball. Right. And so uh, the, the, the gentleman's name, uh, may he rest in peace, his name is Paul Bugley, uh, who passed away recently, unfortunately. Um, but I went in for my – well, anyway, I, I was driving back from the from the Jersey Shore, the beach, um, to Philadelphia. I was going to stay at a friend's house who, <clears throat> who was doing a fifth year at Villanova. And, um, unfortunately my car broke down on the way, on the way there. So I, I got out and hitchhiked back to his room and, uh, got back to his room at two, three in the morning. Um, woke up the next day and I, I, I recalled that I, I had forgotten my, my clothes in my car that had broken down. So I, I borrowed a suit. Unfortunately, he's a, was a division one athlete substantially bigger than I was, but I borrowed his suit and his size 13 shoes, which didn't fit so well in my size 10 feet. Um, <laughs> Uh, wrapped an extra long tie around my neck and uh, borrowed his Suzuki Samurai. So I don't know if that that uh, car rings a bell, but it was kind of like the Jeep Wrangler, the first version of the Jeep Wrangler, but really small. Okay. And he didn't have a top on it. Uh, he used it to deliver pizzas back then. <laughs> and so uh, so I, I show up at this interview um, and uh, it had blown my hair quite around. So I looked like, uh, I guess, like I was going to be a rock star. Right. So uh Showed up with these oversized clothes and uh, and and awfully like messy hair, and I went in there and I, I was like taken about because of my heroic effort to get there, and um, and he said, uh, Scott, like you're not ready, are you? Like you don't want to work here, do you? And I was like, No, I mean I, I hitchhiked 200 miles to get here, you know I I this is unbelievable. He's like, you know the people that will work for me would have been at Nordstrom and figured out a way to get us get a suit. Like if you're serious. Like, give me a call. I think you'd be really interesting, but you're not. You're not ready and you're not serious. And so, yeah, it was was a tough one. And so as I was driving home, the only thing I could think of was how I could avoid my mother and for how long. And so it was about two weeks later, I finally picked up the call, her, you know, 15th call. And she gave it to me pretty good. You know, this was a big client of hers and a a, a strong relationship. And, you know, in her words, I had embarrassed her. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I, I made it at the shore another week and then I just went home. And my parents had moved to Connecticut. It's not where I grew up, but uh, in uh, New England in the U.S. And I grew up in New York. And um, and I moved home and and made finding a job a full time job. And and back then um, there wasn't email, so I was sending out letters, believe it or not, and mm. and a resume. And um, and my dad had the best advice for me. He said, um, you know, where do you want to work? Which sounds so simple, but I had never never thought about it. Mm. And, and for me, um, having gone through that kind of, uh, public private failure very early on was like, it's, it's been very meaningful to me as I've gone and grown up in this business mm-hmm. and have had the chance to interview thousands of people, um, and counsel th- thousands of, of young folks and speak to, you know, college student after university student after university student and, uh, and be a little empathetic, um, because unfortunately you don't, they don't, they don't teach you a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, when you're going through university. And so for me to, to land a job at the Nets was a, was a bit of a, I don't know, I, I would say you could call it luck, but I, I had, you know, my resume was full for a college student. It was, it was, it was a full resume. Um, and I got hired as a, as an assistant, a secretary, um, in a marketing group at the New Jersey Nets, which right. was, uh, at the time, one of the kind of sad sack type organizations in sports, uh, could <laughs> never win, could, could never get out of their own way. But, um, but for me, boy, I, I will tell you, um, I fell in love with it my, from my first day driving up to that arena. It was at the, at the time, the continental airlines arena, 
Um, I just fell in love. I would get there first and wait until the first person got there and let me in the door until three months in, they gave me a key. Um, I was always the last one to leave and, um, I was there on weekends and it would be the president, the general counsel, the CFO and, and that kid, cause they didn't even know my name. Um, but I, I, I hung around quite a bit. Um, John Spolstra, uh, became president whose son is now coaching the Miami heat, another NBA team. Wow. And he had a reputation of uh, kind of uh, developing emerging young talent. And I was one of the guys, along with Brett Yormark, who uh, just left running uh, Brooklyn Sports Entertainment, and Howard Newchow, who's now running yep. CAA, the big yep. global agency. Yeah, I know how and it. I were three of the, I, I guess, the people that John Spolstra had tabbed as his young young talent, Fantastic. Uh, which was, was amazing. I mean, I, I, I remember to the day when I was promoted out of my glorious um, – you know, job fetching, fetching coffee and lunch and dry cleaning, because um, yeah. that's essentially what I was doing. Right. And um, and I was at the copier and I was fixing the copier one Saturday. And John walked in and said, uh, "What are you doing, kid?" And I said, "I'm fixing the copier." You know, and he said, "Why are you doing that?" And I looked up at him. I said, "Cause it's broken." And he he laughed. He said, uh, "What do you do here? What's your name?" And I started telling him, "Well, I'm assistant, but here are the 15 projects I've been working on." You know. Mm-hmm. Um, I do most of those at night when everybody leaves. Right. He said, come into my office. And I thought, of course, I was getting fired. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, six months into my illustrious career at the time, um, I got promoted to sell sponsorships. <clears throat> and as a 22-year-old uh, young man, it was uh, it was quite an opportunity. I remember kind of chuckling to myself. I said, when do I start? He's like, how about today? It was a Saturday. Right. And I, he said, well, just take that office over there. And I looked at him. I said, I get an office? I, I like I remember it like it was yesterday and oh, and I, I think and again I think about that as a as one of those experiences where you know I spend a lot of time with young people here and our organization is run run by millennials um, we probably have 80% of our staffs probably under 27 28 years old wow. we've got a 34 year old as a president of one of our teams and so you know there there are things that you take from these experiences along the way um, that you learn from that hope you hopefully impact and influence you and you can pass on to the to the people you get to work with yeah. I mean I love the story and and I think calling it from the mail room to the uh, c-suite here that there is definitely you you know you are you know you have an amazing story from that uh, and I, I'm imagine I can imagine that the learning as well as how you now take that forward how you started and how you're nurturing talent uh, you know it's almost like the movie here I, I love that fantastic uh, that's a very very cool warm-up story um, now, maybe let's uh, jump a little bit ahead. Um, and before we go into, of course, the role you have right now and all the amazing things you're doing here, um, you, know, you have another one here, maybe um, your MSG days or, or something else you did with the NBA, uh, which sort of uh, you know, fits into the sort of same category of, of uh, you know, fun stories. Sure. Well, I, I remember um, my first days at the NBA weren't um, – didn't go as well as I would have hoped. I had just come off a, a pretty public failure. Um, I'd started a company called Hoops TV, which was was in you know kind of an early emerging um, online company. It was the number two most trafficked basketball site in the world behind NBA.com. Oh, right. uh, we ra- raised a ton of money, spent a ton of money, and then found myself out of work and out of luck and out of money, and and made my way to to the NBA. Fortunately. Um, thanks to a to a dear friend of mine who recommended me to the commissioner, um, and um, and so I but I, I had never worked in a big company before. I, I'd never worked um, in corporate America before, or certainly New York City, and that was a tremendous adjustment for me. I I, I really struggled. I um, you know I remember uh, there was a certain certain person there whose who's, whose name I won't use, but but um, you know she made it her business to make my transition really difficult. Um, you know, I, I was as a hired as a young VP. I was probably 29 years old. Um, that's a, you know at the NBA, that's a, a pretty young age to be a, a vice president. Yeah, for sure. And um, and she made it hard. I, you know, I, I didn't have an office. I mean, there were managers in offices, and I was sitting out in the intern desk. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't get an expense report approved uh, for three months. I, I couldn't get a, a laptop. I couldn't get a phone number, uh, a cell phone. I, could, I couldn't. I couldn't get any business cards. I couldn't get any help. You know. Mm. And I uh, finally went to my boss and he said, how's it going? I'm like, this is terrible. You know, I mean, this is awful. He's like, what do you mean? And I told him about some of my, my trials and, and, you know, by that afternoon, everything had been fixed. And that frustrated me even more, 
you know, I, here I am three months kind of like flailing in the wind. And, um, you know, at that, at that point, I looked myself in the mirror and I said, you know, if, if I'm ever in a leadership role where I have influence and control, um, I, I, I want to create the greatest place to work in the world. And I, and I think that starts with onboarding. And I think the first three months, you know, here at, at MSG, um, when I worked there and, and here at, at Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment and the Sixers and Devils. And I think, I think if you interviewed people here, they'd say it's, it's pretty good, you know, and, and we're certainly not perfect, but boy, are we working towards it. And, and, um, you know, and later on at the NBA, and by the way, like I, I loved my experience at the NBA. I, I, you know, having a chance to work with uh, commissioner David Stern and, and, and then, uh, Adam Silver, the, the current commissioner mm-hmm. who ended up, um, you know, being a good mentor and friend and, and boss, you know, I, I worked with some of the most incredible people in the world. I mean, I, you know, even on my team there, you know, was Tom Glick, who now runs the Carolina Panthers, Chris Granger, who runs the Detroit Tigers and um, Detroit Red Wings, uh, Chris Heck, who runs um, the Philadelphia 76ers for us here, um, Amy Brooks, who runs um, – uh, she's the president of innovation for the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, Donna Daniels, who's our general manager of our one of the top ten buildings in the world, the Prudential Center. So, so that that team, I, mean, I can go on and on. They're literally, like there there are a dozen people running big companies yeah. um, that that got to work at that team, uh, which is was pretty amazing. Um, yeah. So, I, I loved my experience there. I, I got to uh, consult with um, over fifty teams across the NBA, WNBA, and now G League. Um, it was like I used, I used to say I was like getting a PhD in, in team sports, and I and I got to to learn from these incredible operators. You know, the mm-hmm. Eric Wolfers of the world who still runs the Heat, or Rick Welts at Golden State, Len Komorowski at the Cleveland Cavaliers. I mean, th- these are elite, elite operators. You know, mm-hmm. so it was it was pretty pretty incredible. Um, oh, but oh, I had oh, other. No, I was going to say of all of them, you know, because you have you're mentioning so many of these amazing people there. But if you now if you would pick one, um, either person or let's say uh, experience, you know, how you started um, in let's say in your early part of the career, what is it the one which really shaped you the most? Where you really felt this, and and now in your in your leadership career uh, role you're in now. Um, you know, that goes back to you, you know, that experience. Is that early, you know, as I said, from the mail room or was it, you know, that tough time in the NBA, how you got started? What is it? Maybe one of those moments well, where a, you... A, that's a good question. I had another one um, where I had um, I had jumped in and volunteered to work on the WNBA. And and um, at the time, there was this, this uh, kind of boy band named NSYNC. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had just come onto the scene and were the hottest band in the world. And... Um, and I had known their manager and had done some work with him in a past life and, and had connected with him to do a launch of his, the Instincts album at WNBA Games. At the time, they were trying to attract teenage teenage girls. Mm-hmm. This boy band was kind of the teenage um, girl magnet. Yeah, so I, I figured that was a great marriage. And, and they, they, they launched it there. They gave videos. They autographed stuff. They gave away merchandise. I mean, it was almost like a can't-fail project, and yet it failed. All right. And um, – and I was about six months into my tenure at the NBA, and at this point, I was really frustrated. And and uh, this great uh, HR head, his name is Jeff Robinson, called me in his office just to check in. He said, "How's it going?" I'm like, "This is the worst." Um, and what went wrong? He's like, what, what's, what's the worst? He's like, "This place, it's awful." He's like, "Is it the place or is it you?" Um, and I said, "It's not me, you know. Of course, how can anything <laughs> be my fault, you yeah, know?" And and again, another another great lesson when you're young. Um, you know, oftentimes you should spend a little more time looking in the mirror um, and a lot less time looking at everybody else when things go south. But nonetheless, I was at that point in my career and I said, are you kidding me? And I rattled off, I had done this and I had done that and so-and-so didn't do this and so-and-so didn't do that. They don't know what they're doing and I'm so smart and nobody else <laughs> is. And, you know, I'm going through and he said, um, well, what, what role did you play in the failure? And I said, me? And, um, and I said, well, you know, well, I don't know. And, and, you know, he ended up asking me a series of questions about, you know, my relationships mm. and and how connected I was in, at the NBA. And it was really an interesting question. And and, and he said, well, this is a matrix. And, and, you know, to get things done effectively in this organization, you need to have relationships. You need to spend time creating them. Mm. And you've only been here for six months, which is effectively six seconds. Mm. And so, you know, and I said, well, I'm on the road. And he said, 
how often are you on the road? I said, five or six days a week. And he said, well, does that make sense? I said, well, that's where I add value. And he said, well, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a difference between being right and, different and, and, uh, and being effective. And right now you may be right, but you're not effective. Mm. And I said, well, how am I supposed to do that? And he said, Scott, you seem like a smart guy. I bet you can figure it out. And so, you know, I ended up coming off the road um, at, at first one day a week and eventually two days a week. And so I spent one day in New York and one day in our uh, entertainment offices in, in New Jersey. And that, you know, I, I of course, would do would do my paperwork and busy work. Um, but I spent time connecting with people and and getting to know them and meeting them when I didn't have to ask for something and creating a window of opportunity um, so that when things came up, um, I would, I would, I was the one that they would call if they needed something related to the teams. And, and, and it was really interesting. Like I remember specifically being in one of David Stern's, um, big staff meetings, not big, you know, his, uh, whatever, 15 people staff meetings mm. and him saying, you know, worried about the the ratings coming up. And I think it was like a San Antonio, Indiana, or it was a, you know, not two, two, uh, not so big markets. And mm. they were a little fear that the ratings would be down over the previous year. And I said, well, the teams could help. And literally everybody at the table laughed. Right. And um, and I, I remember saying, no, no, we, we can do this, you know? And I said, and I remember a good friend of mine who's still a friend and we, we, work, we do some work together. He's not no longer there. Greg Winnick, who was running NBA Entertainment at the time, said, you won't get one. I said, Greg, I'll get 10 by lunchtime. Right. Um, and, and sure enough, all 30 teams participated and, and promoted the, the finals that year. And because just like I had worked on relationships at the NBA, I was working on my relationships with the teams. Right. And and while some people just do it just because of the relationship, others you had to convince and, and have that avalanche of support with the other 25 or 26 teams, which we got. Um, but I started to get some credibility internally. Mm. Um, and 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 that helped. And so when, when my boss, Bernie Mullen, who's another wonderful soul and, uh, and good friend, left to go run the Hawks and Thrashers, who are now the Winnipeg Jets, um, in Atlanta – um, I remember the commissioner calling and saying, saying like, I can't believe I'm doing this, but, but, uh, I'm going to give you his job. And I said, uh, thanks. And he said, do you want to know why? I was like, no, you know, I'm just happy to have the opportunity. He said, it's because every single person I called and asked, they said you were the right person. Wow. And, you know, I always go back to that, that point. I think about that today and I think about Jeff Robinson, um, and I think about the value, um, of, and meaning of relationships, and and in the era of social media and email and texting and 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 uh, the way of the world, I don't think there's any substitute for uh, you know for sitting down face to face, and grabbing a meal and connecting. And and I think that's the way business is done. I think that's the way you maintain relationships. I think that's the way you build culture. I mean, we do it here. We have we call them face to faces, and I sit down you know once a week with groups of ten to fifteen predominant, you know, mostly or typically very young folks. Mm. And I always start to meet in the same way. I said, Hey, I'm here to talk about life, love, and the pursuit of happiness, whatever you want to talk about, let's do it. And, um, and with the young people, I, I, I have two good ingredients. One, um, I bring food and two, I keep the meetings relatively short, both of which they like a lot more than my comments, <laughs> but, but it, but it is, it is, it's all connected. Like, you know, um, they, you know, I've heard so many stories about how, you know, you're, you're kind of a product of your, your childhood. Yeah. You know, I think the same thing applies in business. And I think we're, we're very much a product of our experiences and the cultures from which we came and the bosses, uh, who, whom we had. And, um, and I'm very much living proof of that. Definitely. Uh, you know, and, and again, everything you're you know, listening to you. Uh, you know, besides my own career and, and you know, as I've spoken to like Donald, which he talks about the same thing, you know, for him, it was all about, you ha you know, there's, there's certain things you cannot do over the phone, you know, you have to be in front of the person. And, and I think that's what you're just sharing as well. So uh, clearly, I think that's a great message for everyone uh, who now is used to just texting and, you know, and, and sending everything via some electronic messaging device. Um, I think the face to face, like you call it, um, is, is so important, um, even in today's world, or even more in today's world. So I think we're all on the same page there. Um, that's a great segue. Hey, quick, to, quick one, Marcus, on Donald Dell. Um, I, yeah. I told him this when I when I first I first met him about uh, boy, it's probably twelve years ago or so. I was at Madison Square Garden and we, we were working on a deal together. Yeah. And and I and and right when we finished, I said, Hey, I have to tell you something uh before you go. And he said, What's that? I said, In college I wrote a paper about you. 
<laughs> yeah, he cracked up. He's like, oh, you're making me feel old. I said, no, 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 you're, you're a hero of mine for, for a very long time. Right. So it was, it was such a such a pleasure and honor to get to know him and, and uh, even better now to call him a friend. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and actually it was a comment I was going to make earlier is clearly it, it shows when you, like what you were sharing is how you really first started, right? I think your first role you meant that was a New Jersey Jets here, uh, Nets here. Um, you know, we all fall in love to some degree with this industry. I think, you know, if you're really going to be around like we are 20 years, 30 years or, you know, Donald, 50 years, um, if you don't love this, you, you're not going to be doing it, right? Um, we, you know, there's money to be made, of course, and all that fun stuff, which we get with it, the perks. But I think there is a true love affair, or, or how would you describe it? I think that's right. I, I, I would say, though, um, where I've seen people slip and fall is um, I think they fall in love with the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. um, so if you fall in love with the the energy, I think that's wonderful. If you fall in love with the way that that sports can influence and impact a community and and drive a business, I think that's wonderful. Um, if you fall in love with uh, the games, you know you can just be a fan and you, you shouldn't work in this business. Um, and it's not that I don't love the games. Of course, I I I I, I enjoy going to you know, 76er games and New Jersey devil games and, and our Dignitas, um, events. Of course, I absolutely love it. Um, but that's not what I'm in love with. I'm in love with the, the power and influence, um, and community building that sports provides in, in an era of, of nonsense and, you know, political clashes and, um, you know, unsettling comments and, you know, people escaping in their phones and social media, this is the community building that I fell in love with. Like this, this builds, this is where you, you come to a game and you, you high five a perfect stranger yes. um, and you sing and dance like you were a kid yep. and you, you find community and you find family amongst the sea of strangers. And I, I think that's why that's that's what I've fallen in love with, and 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 not that everyone has to fall in love with exactly what I fall in love with, but I, I would fall in love with something other than, hey, I'm a big fan. I love Joel Embiid, you know. Yeah. Um. I I don't think that's uh that's made for a career in this business. No, and I would totally agree. Uh. Yeah. It's I think especially in our roles where we are clearly on the commercial side of the business, right? Running companies or running venues and and teams. Um, you, if you're too much of a fan, like you rightly said, I think you you fall in love with the wrong thing, right? You have to be that objective. You have to still look at it as a business. Um, but as you rightly said, what uh, what sports can do, what it can deliver um, to the communities, as well as uh, in a larger scheme of things, you know, I always say there's nothing in the world which creates the impact in a country than the country winning, you know, the World Cup or you know, major major sporting event, which you know, it's is maybe the biggest sport in the country. Um, you know, there's nothing on the planet the president or the, you know, whoever it is, uh, the leader of the country can do besides winning that, um, you know, and so that power and I think the, the, the positive energy coming out of that is, is amazing. So, um, and let's, let's go, uh, let's continue a bit in that, in that direction because I think that's a perfect segue into what you're currently doing, of course, at, at Harry Blitzer, uh, Harris Blitzer, sorry, um, uh, you know, in your role, um, uh, there, you're leading not just one organization. Obviously, you have multiple parties there. Um, you know, and I don't know how you juggle all the different things you do in there. Uh, but share a little bit of you know what it is. You know, I think you've you know I've read about you know that you have the philosophies you have, your the corporate culture again, the community service which you guys talking about. Um, but talk a bit about how that translates to the team itself, rather than uh, you know, maybe the the fans. So look at it maybe from a team point of view, and then we'll talk a bit about the fans as well. Sure. Well, I, I always think um, success in is predominantly the team business. We have a lot of ancillary businesses around the team teams, but but generally the team business it has to start at the top. And I'm really fortunate to work for some incredible people. Um, Josh Harris is one of the co-founders of Apollo Global Management, and David Blitzer is um, one of the um, chiefs top people at Blackstone, mm -hmm. which is the largest private equity firm in the world. Yeah, so absolutely. you have two elite deal makers um, who are as good um, of people as they are deal makers. And having spent uh, quite a bit of time kind of aligning on values and vision with them, 
um, we have a really good mandate and, and they're, you know, these are, these are good people. They're, they're, uh, they're wonderful husbands. Uh, they each have five children. They're terrific fathers. They believe that sports is a vehicle to make the world a better place. Um, they are committed and kind of, um, obsessed with winning and, um, and, and they believe that, um, culture drives performance. And so when, when I was going through my transition and interviewing with them, it was almost too good to be true. And, and it's lived up to all those buildings and more. And, and a lot of it has to do with them. Um, you know, we've assembled what, what I would argue is the, the most talented uh, sports organization in the world, you know, present company excluded, of course. Um, but, you know, Hugh Weber um, runs the, the team business and, you know, uh, Procter & Gamble background, uh, went through some incredible transitions um, with the with the Hornet, the Pelicans now, the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, Chris Heck runs the 76ers. Again, longtime uh, football, American soccer exec, longtime NBA exec, and baseball before that. Um, and works with me at the NBA. And Jake Reynolds is, is kind of maybe the most talented, emerging, young um, kind of culture-building executive I've ever been around. He's uh, running the New Jersey Devils. You know, Adam Davis, he's kind of our global ambassador. He's, he's in China more often than I am, um, but he's our kind of chief deal maker. I mean, you've got, I mean, Laura Price is our COO who's been at this organization as like additional knowledge that you can't put a price tag on. Um, you know, we, I could go on and on. Like we, we have, I, I think we've got 15 executives that, sh you know, either are running big organizations or will be some point in their career. I mean, this is a, it's a powerhouse and, and it, it's, you know, allows me to, to have fun. And I will say, like, I've never had more fun in my life. I've never had more fun in my career. Um, I'm really proud of kind of what we do and how we do it. I think you touched on our community effort here. When, when you um, sign up to work here, uh, you, you pledge 76 hours of, of, of service into the community. And, um, and we, so, so we'll shut down the office once a month and go, and go serve. And, and we could be packing meals for the military or feeding the homeless, um, or as I like to say, walking the elderly across the street, I don't care what you do, but you better figure out some way to coach, mentor, teach, and make this world better. And, um, and it's a great commitment. And, and, and again, it's, it's, it's really consistent with, with how Josh and David see the world. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the steward of these franchises on their behalf and on the behalf of the cities with, with where, where we live, work, and play. Mm, that's amazing. Now, one question I had, um, you know, it's always easy when the team does well, right? And, and clearly right now, you know, both uh, the Sixers and, uh, and, and the Devils are, are doing well. Um, but, you know, it wasn't always that way, right? Uh, especially 76ers from what I remember, you know, the level, several years ago, you know, we're in SE homing at the top level. Um, and I'm sure that's harder, right? And I'm sure, you know, not everyone comes in happily in the office uh, in the morning after, you know, uh, a weekend or, or after a match that got lost. So, you know, what's the difference there? And how do you keep that momentum, you know, and how did you build up, uh, you know, that sort of winning mentality? Sure. So so we, we did go through a... We did go through a three-year period where we we had the the worst win-loss percentage in the history of the NBA mm -hmm. over a three-year period. So so we went through a pretty lean time on the basketball court. The good news was um, was that we we were pretty committed. Well, not pretty committed. We were committed to a long-term strategy. And so just like we do today with all of our decisions in business, and like we do today with all of our decisions on the ice and on the court and in front of the screen, if it's if it's uh, dignitas. Is that we want to make the best decisions for the franchise, um, which aren't, you know, obviously they aren't always the right decisions. We made plenty of mistakes, but we always have a long-term view. We 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 want to be, we're, we we are very well aware. Uh, you mentioned it earlier of the impact and influence that a winning team can have on a community. You know, and it can be yeah. it can be a, a community, it can be a city, it can be a a, a state, country. it can be a country. Yeah. And, and in our case, like we understand that obligation and we, we also understand like it doesn't happen overnight. And there are in many cases, 29 or 31 or 57 other, other teams in your league fighting just as hard as you are, Absolutely. who are, have just as many resources and are as smart or smarter. And so we have a very much a, a long-term view, uh, much like you would if you were a private equity investor, so to speak. Right. So we definitely have a, a long-term view. However, um, the culture here has always been good. So one one year we won actually ten games, ten out of eighty two in the NBA is not a lot of games. Nope. Um, and we almost beat the record. The record was nine, 
and that was not <laughs> right we wanted to be. Yeah. So uh, we finished with 10 wins. And and though I would come in here, and, and it's not like I didn't have bad days because, of course, I did. I, I had plenty of days where I, I, I was down, um, disappointed, frustrated, angry. And I would come in here, and we just had this incredible light and spirit. And and people are happy here, you know. And, and so, uh, you know, if it were my day to be down in the dump, somebody would come in and, and um, pat me on the back and give me some encouraging words, and I'd pop right back into it. Um, because yeah. at the end of the day, it's like, like you tell your, your children, you know, there are only a few things you can control and one of them is your attitude. And so, um, so, and we, and we had that in, in spades here so that that was, uh, actually something I think we did really well. Yeah. And uh, yeah, again, at, at the end of the day, that boils down to the corporate culture, right? Which you are, you built even when you, when you started, I guess, and, and it, it wasn't winning seasons and it wasn't all going well. So if you be able to do it at that time, of course, when it gets, you know, when the sun comes up and, and it all works well, uh, even more, um, I think that's a, that's an interesting lesson there, uh, or, or great. So, um, but when you, if you come, so if you really compare the two, um, is there a big difference between a winning season and not so winning season, or you really just at the end of the day you say, hey, there's you know there's another match or another game coming up, there's another season coming, so you know what, we're in there for the long haul, and we don't, it doesn't matter really. No, no, I, I have a I have a competitive problem, so I I, <laughs> I definitely love winning. I I will say I um I learned my lesson though pretty pretty early on uh, with my wife Lisa. We um. We were going through a similar transition in New York when I first got to New York, and and we we effectively took a very long view there. We came out of it a little quicker, um, but but uh, but same type of thing. And I came home really mad one night. She's like, "What what are you what are you all mad about?" And I was like, "We lost by twenty five points tonight." It's a Knicks, New York Knicks. Right. And she, she said, uh, "So so are the Knicks going to be good this year?" I was like, "No, no." Right. She said, "Well, how many games do you win?" I said, "I don't know. I think we'll win like twenty five to 30. She's like, "Okay." What about the Rangers? I said, no, not much better this year, unfortunately. She said, how many games are you going to win there? I said, probably the same. She's like, okay, how about the Liberty? I said, oh, I think the Liberty will be better. She's like, okay, how many games are you going to lose there? I was like, I don't know, maybe 15. She's like, okay, so that's 115 losses. So you're going to be pissed, mad, angry, and frustrated <laughs> one out of every three nights. I just want to make sure what I know I'm signing up for. Right. And it was like a really interesting like bounce back for me to understand uh, what she was saying and what lesson she was teaching me there, which was, um, hey, my man, however long you need to uh, to get yourself right before you get home, do it in the car. And when you get home, flip back out of it because there's a whole world out here. And I, I thought that was a, a bit of a watershed moment for me in terms of how I manage my disappointment and frustration on, on, against losing because I, I, I definitely take losses harder than I enjoy wins. Mm. And um, and that's not a great quality to have in this business, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially yeah, if you're dealing with multiple teams. Exactly. Um, you don't have your and, losses. And so I, I've I've definitely learned how to you know better deal with it and compartmentalize uh, the frustration, and um, and I'm doing much better at that. But but that being said, winning is so much fun. It is. <laughs> we have uh, you know the the 76ers in particular right now are are a team that that you know will compete for a championship this year. And, yeah. And uh, if we stay healthy, and, and it, that that's really fun. It's fun to see the city come alive. It's fun to see the buzz. We made huge improvements and steps on the devil side as well, and bring in these kind of mega stars. We we uh, drafted first overall Jack Hughes, and brought in PK Subban, who's like a global superstar. So so for us, it's it's two teams on the rise, um, and it has been uh, been kind of a dream come true. But you, but it's definitely more fun when you're winning, and business is better, and business is easier. Okay. And I look a lot smarter, and my whole team looks like we're better. <laughs> we have a saying, <laughs> saying in, in the United States that, you know, they always say that the soda tastes better, the popcorn tastes better, the hot hot dogs taste better when your team's winning. Yeah, um, that's true. You know the the you know when you when you're losing, it feels like, you know, fans are get frustrated and 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 can kind of get get you on just about everything. Yeah, no, absolutely, and, and that, that's interesting. I mean, like I said, it, it, you have been in that for so long, but uh, as you already said, you still maybe get upset when the team loses, or at least it maybe has a tough loss, I guess. Uh, um, and it doesn't go away, right? It hurts, uh, and that's the same with you know, I don't run teams, but uh, you know, when the teams I support when they lose, it, it still puts me down, and 
you know, but you got to get up you know, and dust yourself off, and, and that's what sports world is all about as well. So uh, interesting. Um, I want to touch a, a little bit on on a couple of other things which it, it sits within the organization. That's obviously you're in the in the uh, you're having an esports team as well as you have this sort of you know what you call the innovation lab, which I'm assuming is some sort of an incubation lab for you know new technology and other things. So tell me a bit about how you see. Um, you know, how all that is influencing the real world of sport, which is really where you started and, and what we've been talking about the whole time now. Um, how do you see this new emerging space, you know, from esports to others um, influencing, you know, the world we're in? Sure. Um, well, esports, I mean, the, you, you certainly can't deny the global audience and appeal of esports. It's, it's unmatched. Um, And so we've been, in, we're an early adopter into esports. Um, this is our fourth year, third or fourth year, um, and and we've learned learned quite a few lessons and, and taken even more lumps um, as we continue to to kind of lead from the front. Uh, we've chipped and fall, fallen several times. Uh, mm -hmm. We finally have kind of landed on a really really impressive CEO named Mike Prindeville, um, and and uh, kind of merged with uh, the Houston Rockets organization, which has been a good a good meshing. Mm -hmm. And um, and Delaware North, which is a huge concessionaire um, in the state, so we think we have the right partners, um, which I think has been really exciting. Uh, the the team business is a tough business to be in currently. Uh, it's a sponsorship based model, right. and I don't think the the market is caught up with the escalating cost of the teams. I think that emerges over time, and the value of the teams is certainly growing at a ridiculously rapid rate yeah, i think the, e the ecosystem though to us is really interesting um, you mentioned the innovation lab we have here we also have um a, an early stage investment fund called um hbsev hbse ventures and we've made some some investments i mean two in particular in in the esports space uh one is called u.gg which is a training and development platform for a game called League of Legends, which has been yep. um, incredible. I mean, I, eight months in, they had a billion page views. I mean, these guys, they're, yeah, uh, huge, they just moved game. down to Austin, Texas. Incredibly talented um, base of, of executives running that team. Um, and, and so Shingo and Alan, and, and that has been a, a really interesting Um, kind of journey as we start to learn and, and they've emerged as these elite executives. Another one, um, Stream Metrics, which is kind of like the Nielsen, if you will, for esports, mm -hmm. which will become kind of the, the preeminent um, measuring stick for brands who want to spend in esports. So, so we have the two really good investments in esports alongside Dignitas, which we like a lot. Um, and, I, and I think for us and i'd say for all of the sports organizations out there that you know we we have these incredible platforms and we, we talked about the impact and influence you can have in the community which is for sure but but also there's an incredible opportunity to to leverage these platforms especially us we have these multiple teams um and, and my partners josh and david also own crystal palace um in the premier league um so we have these you know these four platforms where we can test and try and exhibit uh the products we invest in so you know and that that's been really really exciting i mean um we've got <clears throat> home court is another incredible uh it's worth worth downloading if you play basketball um it's kind of like a an ai version of of basketball skills and training i actually have my girls on it but it actually tracks every shot you take the angle the bend of your knee the trajectory of the ball how high you jump off the ground. It's got like AI version of dribbling skills and drills, which we do in my uh, kitchen. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, this is like a, it's an early stage company, but they've had a hundred million shots tracked so far. So wow. pretty, pretty incredible company, old Apple, uh, tech guys, pretty amazing. And, and that's uh, all, and, and, and that's what sits within the, the Sixers innovation lab, is it? The, the, the sort of examples you're just talking about. Uh, some are in the lab. One, one of those is in the lab, and two are from our venture fund. Venture fund's a little more later stage. Okay. Um, so this is the Elevate Sports Venture. That's uh, the fund you're talking about, or that's no, that's a different, a different business. Oh, that's Elevate. another different business. All right, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, that's our, our venture fund. Uh, Elevate is an incredible business. Um, we have Tell me a bit about uh, and, that. Yeah. Yeah, early stage. So we're partners with uh, Live Nation. They're, they're the largest concert promoters in the world, yes. and also um, they also own 
Ticketmaster, which is the largest ticketing yep. company in the world. So it's a it's a really big company. And you got the 49ers, 49ers in there, so you got an interesting uh, mix of people, uh, and, group of yeah. and OVG, and they'll be building 11 arenas and stadiums over the course of the next three years. So uh-huh. you, so you have an incredible group of, of partners, and we're looking to help organizations kind of optimize uh, their arenas or stadiums, okay. um, build arenas and stadiums. We've, we're working with a new NHL team in Seattle. Uh, Miami, uh, the new uh, football club in Miami. We're working with the XFL, a new startup football league. So we've got, right. you know, this is this 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 venture is a year old. We've got twenty five some of my clients. Like it's pretty amazing. Um, mm. Al Guido's the the CEO there, and just he is the um, kind of the future leader in this in this business, in my opinion. Right. So so that's been a really fun business to to start up and. Um, so, yeah, is it supposed so it, to rival the Anschutz Group a bit, or is that sort of a bit the direction and uh, focus on arenas yeah, and maybe, stadiums? In, in a maybe sense? Um, yeah. Tim Tim Iwicky, who was the the founder, of, you know, he, he was the the guy who essentially created yeah. AEG. Yes, um, he he runs OVG, so he's our partner in, in LA. Oh, right. So yes, oh, right. it's, it's, okay. it's got a very similar uh, vision and view to it. But that, that's a, again Dan Beckerman at AEG. Uh, a really good friend and incredible leader and uh and uh, so you know you find in this business I'm, I'm sure you found this in your careers that you know you find you know is there more frenemies in this business than than anywhere like you you your your best friend yet you, you end up competing against on a certain part of the business and then you know the, the next day you're partnering on something else and so so we're, we're fortunate enough to to be partners with a lot of these guys and then competing with them on other parts of their business which is it's been uh, fascinating yeah. Oh, awesome. So I, I know we're running a little late here. I've realized uh, we we spent a bit of time on on things, but uh, that's all great. Um, you know, there's always there's an exact uh, rule of thumb of all the things we want to cover. Um, but maybe quickly, let's have a you know quick talk a bit about you know the the world outside of the United States and and the things you guys are doing maybe to bring the game into Asia, into the into Europe or other parts of the world. Um, you know, what do you see there? What's happening? And and how you uh, how you involved in this? Sure. Well, um, China is where we're spending quite a bit of time. Um, you know, the basketball market in China is off the charts. Um, at least if you, if you believe the facts and figures, which I have experienced, you know, you've got 300 million people playing basketball in China, 300 million people. You know, we had a, a preseason game there last year. Um, they said 55 million people watched the preseason game. Um, we're, uh, considered a, a top five team in China by kind of Weibo engagement mm-hmm. and followers and a top seven hockey team for the devils. And so, you, you know, we, we have, um, three full-time native Chinese, um, employees here, um, okay. two in content and one in sponsorship. Yeah. They're incredible, incredible, incredibly talented young pe- young folks. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so our, you know, and while my Mandarin stops at Nihao, um, they, this, this younger generation of global citizens seems to seem to all speak multiple languages and can effectively and efficiently walk across multiple channels. And, and so I, I'm, I'm there, I go, I go along for the ride. I mean, we think, um, from, uh, you know, with the, the, um, the, uh, you know, we have players from the 76ers think about this. It's kind of crazy. They come from five continents. Uh, you know, you almost like on a team of 15 guys hailing from five continents is almost like unthinkable. Yeah. Um, and the, the devils, we got guys from eight countries on the Jersey devils playing hockey, you know? Yeah. So, um, speaking seven languages, like th- this is, this is the, the, yeah, the, the, the world cool. is smaller, you know? Sure. And, and if you're anywhere in the world listening to this podcast and, and you think you're at the center of it, and I don't care if you're in New York, London, Beijing, Singapore, like Jakarta, like, you know, like you're not in the center of the world. The world is one. And, Mm -hmm. and the fact that sports can bridge some of this and bring us together Mm -hmm. and pull us together is the gift that we all share. But it it is a, it is a small global world. And, and for those of us who are, who are, you know, our age, um, I, you know, I think it's a bit of an adjustment different for you. You've, you've lived all over the world, you know, I tell you, for those in America who are listening to this, like we are so kind of America centric, <laughs> and uh, and I think the the there is incredible opportunity outside of our borders. And so for us, you know, I'm I'm a person. I travel to China three or four times a year, uh, and I I fall in love with the country, the people, the food, 
the experience, their love of sports, um, the way they engage consumers, the way the kind of I think the media uh, is kind of a, a new way to experience sports through uh, digital media. And, 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 and through that, I've, I've made friends and, and I, 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 I'm, I feel blessed every time I'm there. You know, Derek Chang, I don't know if you know anybody who runs the NBA, NBA China, mm-hmm. become a good friend and an incredible executive. He's doing an um, incredible job there. And the NHL, you know, I know hockey's not a, not a huge sport in China yet. Yep. Um, but I, I know bad. there's been a, been a focus and a mandate um, from, from President Xi to, to have more participation in, in winter sports with the coming Olympics. Correct. And, and so I think you're going to see more, more people fall in love with this game of hockey, and, and we hope to play over there as well. Yeah, well, Beijing actually has a team now. I don't know if you're aware of they uh, they play in the Russian league, uh, but it's placed in in Beijing. So this is again part of uh, the lead up to the Olympics, of course. So uh, yeah, it, you know, it clearly on in the larger scheme of things, ice hockey is still quite small, but uh, you never know. It, it, I'm sure it will eventually grow. And the NBA, of course, as we all know, is huge already in in China um, and large across Asia in general. Um, this uh, and then you know, and the the players, as you said, come from all over the world. Obviously, we recently had the world championship in china i'm sure you followed that a bit as well of course um, you know and uh, so you know the world is getting smaller and asia is getting bigger in a sense or more important i think as well so um the, a lot of the learnings of the way the professionalism i think the way the american uh, sports industry is run across the board not just from a club point of view but uh, even when you look at the leagues of course i think there asia can learn a lot of it and that's part of you know the reason we're doing the podcast as well to really learn from the best and you guys are right up there, um, you know, in in terms of your own organization and and of course the the organization you've worked in before. So, really appreciate all that feedback. Um, I think it was fun uh, as always. Uh, we're running out of time here, so uh, I want to thank you for uh, for the time you had uh, we had with you in the morning here, uh, Scott. I'm sure we'll talk again some more in the future. And best of luck with the season this year. And hope you uh, we'll talk again when you win it. Good, good, good. I hope you get get to the States sometime soon, other than for the U.S. Open, but uh, maybe we'll connect uh, next time I'm out, out your way. Awesome. That would be great. I wish you the best yeah. of luck, Marcus. Thanks for the time. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Take care. Bye-bye. The Sports Entrepreneurs by Marcus Lure Podcasts are a collection of interviews and stories. All content in this podcast is the copyright of Marcus Lure. Reproduction and distribution of the presentation without written permission of the owner is prohibited. All rights reserved.